Hello, friends. Welcome to Episode 8 of Cool Story with David J. McNeil. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your continued support. The concept of this podcast came up one day when I remarked to my buddy Jonathan Baldock how many interesting people I had met over the years that lived really interesting lives that were so often very different to my own experience and how much I really enjoyed having those conversations with those friends. Jonathan's immediate response was, you need to do a podcast. And the rest is history, as they say. So when a friend of mine from back home who had been living outwardly as a male boldly introduced herself to the world on Facebook as Rebecca, I thought, I really don't know much about transgender issues. I should talk to Rebecca. It was fortunate that as part of her own coming out process, Rebecca agreed to talk to me. During a pre-interview, which I often do with guests, Rebecca mentioned a Netflix documentary that I should check out called Disclosure, Trans Lives on Screen, which features interviews with quite a few trans people, including Laverne Cox of Orange is the New Black fame. The film focuses on the depiction of transgender men and women throughout the years in TV and film, and it's a real eye-opener. Spoiler alert, the depictions usually aren't based in any fact, have made life more dangerous for trans people, and have made it difficult for trans folks to even come out to their family and friends and live healthy, happy lives. In that film, one of the guests mentioned that approximately 80% of the North American public know little to nothing about trans issues, simply because those polled did not have a transgender friend or family member. So up until very recently, I was part of that 80%. And given that we're hearing more and more these days about trans issues, and that I now have a trans friend, I thought I should probably educate myself. So here we are. During the course of our conversation, I mentioned the documentary. That is, of course, in reference to the aforementioned documentary Disclosure. I must admit, I was a little nervous about this conversation, feeling that perhaps I was a little out of my depth knowledge-wise. But then I thought that might be a good place to start as many listeners might feel the same way about their own knowledge of trans issues. So, if from time to time I sound like I am hemming and hawing, trying to find the exact best way to ask a question, or the right terminology, that is because that is exactly what I'm doing. Thankfully, Rebecca was there to guide me through our chat, and open up my eyes to a world until recently I knew very little about. So my thanks to Rebecca for that. After my chat with Rebecca, please stick around for another installment of a little something we like to call Please don't try this at home This week's story is presented by my buddy Patrick Ronan. Pat and I grew up together in Blackburn Hamlet in the suburbs of Ottawa, Canada. Today, Pat, or Pez as we call him, lives with his partner, Sarah, in Houston, Texas, where he works as a chemical engineer in the petroleum industry. And Sarah is a lawyer. Pat's story recounts a practical joke we played on our buddy Pete back in high school. So stick around for that. But now, it's time for my chat with Rebecca Burridge. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Hey, Dave. I am pretty good. Uh, thanks for talking to me. How are you doing? 
Pretty good. I was looking forward to having our chat today. So now that we're sure. all set up, um, it's right. uh, yeah, it's nice to nice to have you on. How are things going with uh, you and the family with uh, the COVID shutdown? Are you guys you guys faring all right right now with that? Uh, yeah, uh, my work is ground ground to a halt for at least two and a half three months. Um, right, but uh, you're a professional works, photographer. Yeah, I'm a professional photographer, so I depend on usually a, a roof on top of whatever it is I'm doing in a, in a closed space. So, uh, and then I do a lot of like headshots and also, you know, some corporate conferences and that sort of thing. So conferences have disappeared, um, mm-hmm. pretty much entirely. <laughs> so, uh, a yeah. lot of, a lot of professional limbo there, but, uh, the wife yeah. has the steady job. She always has had steady jobs. So, um, mm-hmm. homeschooling has been a disaster with our, nine-year-old son um yeah an absolute total meltdown and unpleasant for everybody yeah yeah that's uh, difficult uh, isn't it yeah so um and then yeah the social social stuff like everybody else depending on how social you are if you're an introvert or you need people um i certainly need people so Mm -hmm. i've i've found it in kind of intolerable on certain levels even though you know we have access to other friends through different means but uh yeah it's that's not been great so no it's difficult yeah if you're a social person and you're used to getting out and having yeah. lots of interactions with friends it can be very lonely even if you're at home with your family yeah it can for be sure. and, lonelier uh, lonelier yeah and like yeah coming mm-hmm. out yeah. as transgender you just kind of come up for air after uh decades of being, you know, just being kind of invisible to yourself and to the rest of the world. And so right. COVID kind of kind of takes that world away from you in so many ways and so many tiny daily interactions that you expected to have. Uh, right. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, really strange. Um, it delays all of those, those interactions that you yeah. need to step yeah. through, right? Absolutely. To figure yeah. out who you are. Yeah. It almost feels like some kind of you know, solipsistic, the universe is, is kind of tempering your enthusiasm for life or something like, ha ha ha, you thought you were going to finally live your life. And then why don't you have a dose of pandemic? So, um, which I know right. that's not, uh, that's just my personal spin on things, but I've, I've chatted with lots of people who, uh, have their own personal setbacks, um, with, uh, with what COVID has done to them, but, but that's, let's just say that's mine. So. Yeah, I can understand why that would be the case, right? Because yeah. you've, you've, you, <clears throat> well, as you explained it to me, this is the the process of of coming out of uh, identifying uh, outwardly to people as as a as a female is something mm-hmm. that you've wanted to do for a long time. You told me that you had toyed with the idea. You 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 sort of almost sounded like you kind of did a dry run in the nineties <laughs> to see if it was going to work for you. And for yeah. whatever reason, it, it didn't work for you back then. So you, you, you mm-hmm. kind of, you stepped back and you figured you'd wait and see. Well, so there's a lot of anticipation, right? To do this. And then. Yeah. It's more like, uh, in the nineties, I took, I took all the baby steps and, uh, just when I saw how, how much it would take to live mm-hmm. outwardly like this, um, mm-hmm. Said that's too hard. I am not going to be good at it. I am going to basically be sentenced to a life of hardship, uh, you know, exile, ostracism, all the things that 
um you know heteronormative to use a fancy word standards out mm-hmm. this society out there has promised for you should you walk this path so i talked myself out of it and i like reverse engineered my identity to say that that wasn't me and mm-hmm. so i just compart put that in a box and put a bunch of chains on it and threw it in the ocean kind of so to speak um mm-hmm. so i spent a good 25 years believing that it's not that i had um decades of anticipation finally ready it was just like just acknowledgement of what was always there and uh mm-hmm. once i admitted it to myself again um uh, i mean I, I i devoted energies to it pretty much every day of my life like don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but always under the uh the conviction that um i wasn't trans and that i just wished i was somehow like there you know right. tra- trans people can yearn to live in the gender and the sex that they were so felt they're supposed to be um i took it one step back and and wished as too bad i'm not trans enough to cross over so i didn't even qualify myself that way so it's uh that's kind of a coping mechanism to just kind of live my life and try everything mm-hmm. else but um mm-hmm. so but then once you kind of go like my wife uh, essentially put the offer on the table and said, uh, if you really want to do it, you can do it with our family support. Um, which made my head spin because I didn't even ask her to do it. Um, so, and then once I realized, Oh, I'm not going to die alone and, uh, I could do it with support. And I, it took me less than a day to realize I needed to find out. So, uh, and then basically those decades of anticipation and closetedness just kind of started pouring out and suddenly it was an emergency to, uh, you know, embark on this, on this process. Right. Well, first of all, I, your, your wife is an amazing person to do that. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's quite the offer to extend to you because it's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be some difficulties for her going through this as well. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. That's what a loving thing to do. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, it's absolutely amazing. And it was, it's pretty much, she gave me, um, pretty much the biggest gift, uh, a transgender person could ask for, Mm -hmm. especially when they didn't ask for it. But, uh, it was just, it, it really made my head spin. Now, there is, uh, we're, I, I think part of the reason we might be speaking is about like what, not to say to a trans person or, or how yes. to say it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I did discover somewhere in this process after hearing repeatedly how amazing my wife was, I did start to feel kind of, you know, just discounted um, as a person. Um, mm-hmm. Why is that? Because uh, the, the idea was, the, the, the underlying subtext was that she was amazing for accepting me or for tolerating me. Or for enduring me, it's uh, th- th- those messages in the aggregate, um, you know, just just kind of like un- eat away at your own self esteem. So right, um, right, okay, I've, I understand uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I've had a good trans friend. She she transitioned about thirteen years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, she was telling me how her her ex was being commended for allowing her trans partner having custody of you know part partial custody of their child and like she was a big person for that so Mm -hmm. um some of the amazingness 
you know, can can come from a bad place. Uh, the the appreciation somehow. So it's just it's a sensitive it's a sense it can be a sensitive um, road a tightrope. I got sensitive tightrope. That's bad. Anyway, I'll delete that, Dave. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, um, yeah. Too much praise for the partner can th- throw the, the trans person under the bus, right? Because uh, the tolerance that they're being praised for, there's a person being tolerated on the other end of that. That is that 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 is can be left with a weird, yeah, just some some weird feelings at the at the end of that process. But anyways. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. word too. Tolerance It's a word I, I people use a lot. I'm not a big uh-huh. fan of tolerance because tolerating is not much. Nope. Or, you yeah, know what I mean? Like minimal, minimal uh, level of acceptance, and it's not quite it bare, bare minimum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hear people and they're like, "Well, you got to be, you know, such such and such a person should be more tolerant or whatever." Well, such and such a person should probably be more than just tolerant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, oh, here's here's the thing. So, if a person comes out to you as trans, okay, mm-hmm. the only best answer you can give them is, or the best thing you can say is, congratulations. Uh, not right. congratulations if that makes you happy, or are you sure? Um, just a just a kind of generic congratulations, and maybe slap an exclamation mark at the end of that. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't feel joy at their, that person's self-discovery, keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, just, you know, otherwise, you know, you can, you're probably more than welcome to participate uh, in their process if they're sharing it with you. So. Um, right. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that? About, mm-hmm. about, I, I watched a film that you had uh, mentioned the other day, um, Disclosure, which is a really interesting mm-hmm. documentary about how transgender uh, people or uh, had been portrayed in film and television over the years. They did talk a lot about in that film about what's cool to ask somebody when you're engaging in conversation about, you know, their experience uh, mm-hmm. being a transgender, transgendered person. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that, that if, that if you're engaging in a conversation, you're happy to talk to somebody about the process you're going through about your, your okay. life and what, what's going on that you'd rather not they ask because it's all very personal stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is all very personal. Um, well, the classic, the classic that you probably shouldn't ask that would vary from person to person uh, would be surgery, jumping to the surgery mm-hmm. question right away. Um, because uh, in many ways, I mean, surgery is still prevalent. A lot of trans people are still seeking that. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a lot more models of trans out there, ways to be, that don't mm-hmm. depend on surgery. Um, and there's so many, it's such a long process to really get approved for that stuff anyway, that it's probably, you know, it's probably not going to happen tomorrow anyway. So there's usually a whole, right. when a person comes out to you that way, um, there's usually so many more immediate hurdles uh, that, you know, discounting even the, the personal aspect of it. It may not be right. most, you know immediately relevant, so that's one. That's not mm-hmm. not the best. Um, maybe a, a good question to ask right away would be ask them if the person has chosen a new name, um, right? Re- instead of, are you going to get the surgery? Um, <clears throat> and then maybe one that kind of got me. Uh, we, you know, we have uh, I, my wife and I have a lot of mutual friends. 
The second or third question out of most people's mouths was, how is my wife doing? Now, it is fantastic to have concern um, <clears throat> and consideration, but you could tell everyone thought that that was a novel question when they asked it. I'm sorry if mm-hmm. I have any friends listening right now. <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, yeah. I could almost, I basically started to brace myself for the, the how's Jen question. Um, mm-hmm. And after a while, I wanted to go, well, you could ask her, you know, you could, she's available. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people were just kind of covering, covering their bases, doing the due diligence. But uh, yeah, in the aggregate, these, that that question just kind of built up and I was like, ah, oh, all right, that's, that's nice that you ask, but, <laughs> um, right. so yeah, asking about your effect on other people as the second or third question can be a bit, can be a bit of a weird one. So, um, but out of politeness, usually the surgery question is really just the big one, um, not to ask. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe other if other things come to me, I will uh, I might interject later. But well, there's also uh, well, I know the expression "dead naming." You know, you don't uh, yeah. people don't appreciate hearing their former sure. name or whatever you want to call it brought up because you that's not your name anymore. Yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and now if don't don't start telling the newly out trans person that you're going to miss their old self and 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 mention their dead name at the same time um Mm -hmm. that is about you and uh is kind of cruel because they're in coming out to as trans the person saying that the the old me is leaving perhaps never existed and is definitely not coming back so don't uh you know let's say the trans person's former name is matt you know you know i'm gonna really gonna miss old matt he was a good guy that is so, so undermining uh, to the new identity that they are trying to trying to forge and they need you to participate in. So, um, you know, so it can people can when you come out as transgender, you can there there can be a collateral effect of the people in your immediate circle uh, wonder who they were. They, they part part of their identity is forged by their knowing you. So mm-hmm. when you come out as a completely different person or, you know, at least that's my, what it might seem at first, that can uh, undermine the other person's identity and what they thought they knew. Um, yeah. And so some unfortunate things can be said uh, as a result of that. So, um, yeah. yeah. So. Well, you were okay. mentioning too that some of those unfortunate things that were said that weren't, weren't necessarily said to you that were said to your wife that she had to deal with some people who had some questions that were not very, for lack of a better way of putting it, cool questions to be asking her. Yeah. Asking, asking how things work in the bedroom is kind of not a good, not a good uh, topic to broach really. That's, that's just, yeah, you wouldn't ask that of anybody else. No, yeah. I mean, I know I realize certain friends have lack of filter and that sort of thing, but um, yeah, there is, there is a role of support you can play versus just a kind of like, uh, just satisfying your own curiosity, and that doesn't come out mm-hmm. actually out of a place of support or empathy. So yeah, that can be that can be a dangerous, dangerous area to tread, and and does not leave the person feeling supported. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
what are some of the, the 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 markers, the big things that you've the that you've had to go through? The one of the things that you've already dealt with uh, in um, in assuming a, a new identity uh, and and sort of reinventing yourself. Would you say it's fair to say that you have to sort of reinvent yourself, or do all of these things sort of fall into place? Or? Yeah, it's it's much more a process of self discovery, I think, uh, rather than yeah. reinvention. Um, so there's an element of kind of like throwing, throwing everything at the, at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in the past, a trans, a trans woman, uh, trans men have their own, their own models of, of being, but, um, mm-hmm. and this is kind of, this can be a side effect of Hollywood culture and presenting, you know, if, if you have a transgender woman on screen, there's a good chance she was a call girl. Uh, right. and so you had early eighties, nineties, trans, uh, people in real life kind of mm-hmm. dressing like call girls, uh, short mini skirts, uh, fishnet stockings possibly, and definitely high heels, sensible shoes were not, not a thing that trans people in the, in the nineties, anyone, any that I knew tended to sport. Right. Um, so certain exaggerated modes of femininity and again, not throwing the sex trade under the, under the bus in any way whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. but you had less, less models if you were, you know, kind of redesigning yourself. But, um, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think now in 2019, 2020, um, I can just look at a style, look at, uh, at a woman I admire and just kind of go, would that work for me? And mm-hmm. I try it. If I like it, I feel, and I feel good, then that I move forward with it. So I kind of have a certain freedom because I, I have barely, I, I, I don't feel bound by the usual rules for, you know, like, could I get away with this or could I get away with that look? I'm right. like, I have put on female clothing and walked out on the street and decided that I am going to, you know, uh, I've gotten over myself, <laughs> over my mm-hmm. ears, uh, right. just merely presenting female. So who cares if my my uh, dress is too girly or uh, or pink is not my color or something like that? So mm-hmm. that's right. relevant. That was that was small potatoes uh, because I'm, I'm I've the threshold of which I'm worried about being judged is, uh, you know, it's 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 on a different level. So right, um, yeah you have to have thicker skin. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, yeah, so I don't feel necessarily feel judged for a specific thing uh, that I, that I might wear. And that gives me a freedom to greater freedom to explore who I might be. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm discovering whatever that might be. Uh, so it's definitely not, uh, invention per se. So that's my kind of long rambling answer mm-hmm. about that. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I do hope, I'm curious if I will have taken a different stance uh, or a different aesthetic, you know, in a year from now or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, um, this is another, this, is, this might be another cliche, but the early transgender woman, at least, when she comes out, she needs a lot of um, surface expression to, to, to convey who she is to the world. So, um if you're a cis woman and you find yourself wanting to tell that person, tell that newly out transgender person that 
uh, you yourself don't like makeup or you don't like clothes that are that feminine or whatnot, mm-hmm. keep your privilege in check uh, and realize that you're not being misgendered in your day to day and you have to do very little uh, to be gendered in, in, you know, the identity that you're comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the early trans woman may exaggerate some of these signs of femininity because she's got nothing else to go on till, you know, other things, possibly surgeries or hormones or whatever, uh, right. help kind of flatten that, flatten that curve to use a common expression right now. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, self-expression, self-invention, it changes, uh, as you become comfortable with new modes of being, I suppose. I'm speaking ahead yeah. of this ahead of myself though, because frankly, I've only been out full time about six months or so, and so I, I've got a lot of discovery left to do. I think. Is there a certain amount of peer pressure within the community uh, as to how you do it, uh, <laughs> as to what the goalposts are and the correct ways to 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 do it, as there uh, are in many uh, many groups? Yeah, it's just it's usually almost always a generational thing. So um, I think in most ways, the future is probably kind of non-binary. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely, I mean, it's an easier way to be for some, for some trans people. It can allow, um, you know, it can allow different modalities of being, which sometimes can be necessary for safety. Um, right. But it could also just be an acknowledgement about the, you know, the spectrum of gender. Um, whereas you have the older generations where we were, you know, that whatever it was that we were born and assigned at birth, uh, mm-hmm. we were told to identify as. So the biggest cure for that mistake was to try and aim for, you know, I think the polar opposite of whatever shore you, you found yourself on. So, mm-hmm. um, and as we l- loosen up our definitions of gender and kind of educate at the school level, um, you're going to have, I think you're going to just have a much more, a much more fluid spectrum. So, so, so long as you've got a healthy openness to whoever wants to join, uh, you're kind of doing it right. Um, Had you put much thought into what your name was going to be? Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's forever the problem, um, of finding, finding the appropriate name. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever tried to write some short fiction and come up with come up with a character's name or two and uh, yeah. you know how, just how difficult that is. Uh, mm-hmm. I would try those things many years ago and you'd open up a phone book and no matter what combination of name you chose, it sounded fake. Um, I couldn't name my cats for, for that matter. Everything sounded wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's always been a problem in the nineties. I kind of went, I cycled through a few names. Um, those didn't, those didn't really work. <laughs> uh, and this time around, I had, it's not like I have, I have always been a woman named Rebecca. Um, I just kind of, you know, I had a list and none of those names were working. I did not want just a feminization of my old name. Um, sure. And I was just contemplating, you know, could I still be a photographer and a transgender woman? Or is that just going to freak everybody else out? And I said, well, what would my, what would my, you know, kind of company name be? And Rebecca Burge Photography just kind of flowed. It just kind of bubbled up to me. And it was not a name that was on the list. It was, for me, I'm a little bit more binary than some genderqueer people. So 
I didn't want a middle uh, middle road name like a, a Dana or a Pat or a or a Jordan or something like that. So um, it had to be unmistakably gendered female, and uh, otherwise it was just like, well, I like those strings of uh, syllables together. It kind of right. it just kind of flowed for me. So. And it, I guess it doesn't really become real until people, you start hearing people use your name on a regular basis. And then you're like, yeah. that's me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. all of that. Certainly it was jarring hearing it used at first. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, that's, who's that? Oh yeah, crap. That's right. Me. Exactly. Okay. I better respond. Like that's always been my name. Otherwise people are going to see through my charade. So um, yeah, with gradual use, it's, it's worked out. So, but it's, oh God, it's just so hard volunteering your name at first and not slurring it and just maybe you know selling it to the other person so the first few times i would just be like uh my my tongue became mush in my mouth when i'd, I'd say i'm barbara or whatever <laughs> right and i was like then all of a sudden i didn't hear what the next thing the person said because i was dying of embarrassment inside my in all inside so um yeah it's all you know we didn't get to choose our names when we were born, but those mm-hmm. names became us anyway, for the most part. Uh, at least for mm-hmm. your most your well-adjusted, happy in their gender kind of person, you would never dream of changing your first name. At least you know once maybe as you're a kid, you wanted to be called something else. But uh, yeah, so I figured, why would why can't whatever name I choose become me with enough time and practice? So I'm sticking with it. Feels right. And uh, yeah. In the documentary disclosure, the main focus of uh, the film is the representation of trans people and on, on the big screen and on the little screen. You know, you mentioned before that you had been greatly affected by the afternoon talk shows. Um, tell me about that. For me, the probably the biggest continual exposure growing up in like being born in the 70s, growing up in the 80s was all the talk shows. Um, you know, during summer vacation, I could pretty much rely on two different talk shows per week, uh, having trans people on so Mm. that the audience could just gawk at them. And so that they could, uh, so that the host could, you know, just basically go, whose lives have you, have you destroyed by coming out and what have Mm. you done to yourself? And then, so just kind of creating a kind of unsympathetic circus sideshow uh representation of of who these people were and i was like oh god i guess that's me and i can't tell anyone about it i have to keep this to myself no matter what so much of coming out is just shedding all that shame and just kind of going you know what i'm okay and i'm better than okay and um but you, you really, there's just so much of it that's, that's, that's just built up in your system that you have to keep, yeah. keep exercising and you may think you've gotten rid of all of it, but it can creep up. So I, uh, sure. I have a kind of a, you know, just like a feeling like I, a, I can put on a piece of clothing that makes me feel amazing. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I do is like, if I, I'll apologize to my wife, like I'll make like a a sound of joy, like going, Oh my God, I feel awesome in this. And then I'll say sorry to my wife. Like I'm apologizing for my joy. I'm just, I'm just oh. like, I don't deserve it. Uh, and she just goes, stop apologizing. <laughs> so, right. She gets it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. But I can't stop. I feel wrong for enjoying my life. Like, what the hell is that? So, uh, and I think that is just like the, just the institutionalized anti-trans, uh, like, uh, environment that is, you know, it's, it's the air you breathe. So you, you don't see it. And, uh, right. Yeah. So that's a big part of your journey is getting yeah. to the yeah. other, trying to figure out how to get to the other side of that. Yep. Owning your own joy, I think. Mm-hmm. And being unapologetic is, it's a big one. So not having to be the sweetest trans person in the world, um, but just have to be yourself and uh, not care if that disrupts someone else's views of, of how things should be. So um, you sure. can you can have queer people that are pretty angry because they're just getting coming to grips that they don't owe people anything. And uh, <clears> you know, <throat> there is a, a good queer friend of mine once told me that, you know, cis people uh oh damn i don't really remember the quote anywhere uh, it's like cis people feel you deserve like they they deserve your gratitude for just letting you exist right you know? and cis for people who are listening who don't know what this term cis people is yeah cisgender um is is uh basically one way you could look at it is you're just happy you're happy in the body you were born in the sex you were assigned at birth that everything fits um mm-hmm. Cis really, if you go back to the Latin, it means I believe. Um, so I read it's the opposite of trans. Mm-hmm. So trans, is what is this? CIS. CIS, yeah. So trans is like movement transition, and cis is basically like stay in one place. That's my understanding. Right. So, yeah. Um, and then your average cisgender person may take offense and say cis is a slur, as if we're saying it's a bad it's a bad thing to be cis. Um, we're drawing attention to behaviors associated with your average intolerant cisgender person that come from mm-hmm. their not wanting to change their outlook. But cis in itself is not a judgment. And there's certainly a million wonderful queer people who are cisgender. So uh, mm-hmm. you're lesbians and gay men and so on that, that don't have an incongruent gender identity to, to go with it. They're cisgender. And right. That's totally fine. So one of the things I thought was interesting, and this is going back to what you were just saying about watching those uh, afternoon shows, your Jerry Springer's, your Maury Povich's, your whatever. Yeah. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, all those shows where they, they, they create a bit of a circus atmosphere, right. To draw people in. Yep. Um, and uh, one of the things in the, in the documentary, which I thought was quite moving was this, you know, there's, this is uh trans woman who was talking about watching those people uh, being presented on, on Maury Povich or whatever. And she was saying at one, it was, it was like offensive, you know, mm-hmm. what she was watching. But then at the same time, she, she loved watching those shows because it was the actually, it was the only place she was seeing trans people. So it was yeah. a bit of a double edged sword. Absolutely. Abs. I was addicted to watching those things. I could not look away and if I knew there was one on, I had to watch it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to know I wasn't alone and I might be a freak, um, but I wasn't the only freak. So um, so even as it was doing damage to my self-esteem and telling me, you know, that the real me would never be worth loving. So I would have mm-hmm. to hide it. Um, at least I knew there was... There, there was other people out there. So, um, and I think eventually uh, there was one talk show that listed say uh, that, that interviewed some support group people. I think, uh, 
mm-hmm. wasn't P flag, um, but it was another like a trans support group in California. And uh, one day when I was about 17 or so, I wrote to them like it was just a nice handwritten letter saying, mm-hmm. is there anyone in Ottawa that can help me? And uh, I got back a photocopy of, of uh, just, you know, some listings of support groups. And then the one in Ottawa was, was circled in red. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was thanks to me seeing somebody on a talk show that represented a support group. So, and then I was kind of on my way uh, with that initial, mm-hmm. initial dipping of my toe into that world in the nineties, which I, as we mentioned before, I would later buried, buried again, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was, I was watching those talk shows for signs of life, signs of hope, and I was willing to swallow all the humiliation and just kind of go, yep, yeah, I, I know I'm garbage, but I need to know right. that I'm not alone. Is comforting and getting slapped in the face at the same time. Yeah, but it's, it, it's you know, but you feeling you deserve it. You know, having no, right. not even the faintest shred of dignity to demand respect uh, in the process, but you had nothing else. So and mm-hmm. it, was, it was preferable to just being the only one. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about something the other day, and this is something that you would relate to because you had a, a very similar uh, upbringing. And that was, I, I often think of myself as um, being uh, a bit of an outsider sometimes because I've been in a few different ways, parts of a couple different cultures, but not, but kind of having one foot in one culture and one foot in the other. And the w- reason I bring this up is because you and I both grew up in the French school system. Mm-hmm. But we have English last names. Yeah. And over the course of my life, I've had plenty of people who've come up to me and started telling me stories about some asshole French Canadian or these French idiots or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And not realizing that I'm half Francophone, I go to a French school because I don't have an accent that kind of mm-hmm. betrays that or whatever. And I'm guessing you went through that as well. Yeah. Uh, to, mm-hmm. And then, but to a greater extent, when you're uh, a trans person and you haven't come out yet, you listen to people talk about all kinds of nonsense, thinking, you know, uh, I'm talking to this dude or whatever, and and probably feels the same way I do about this, and I'm gonna, you know, put all my, <laughs> you know, put all this bullshit out there about gays or you know, queer people or trans people. And you got to sit there and listen and go, boy, if this person only knew who I really am. Yeah. Uh, Well, that if for me to go, if this person only knew who I really was, um, is giving, was giving me too much credit back then. Um, Mm -hmm. because I could only get through, get through those days by telling myself I wasn't that those things. So, Mm um, I, I was not a bully. I was often bullied for not for being mm-hmm. effeminate, um, but for just being an outsider myself. Uh, I was pretty much mm-hmm. a metalhead throughout high school, so I would get picked on by older metalheads who knew I was not really one of them. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was I, t- I was in passively in groups where you know someone who was much more feminine and gender nonconforming, or it just you know your grade had decided that there was a certain kid who was going to have to take on the mantle of public ridicule and you were just thankful it didn't fall on you. Um, right. And so you didn't, yeah. you didn't stick up for that person. You didn't pick on them necessarily, but you might have been in the vicinity. Um, 
So, uh, but yeah, for the mo- like for the most part, you got through life by convincing yourself you weren't actually worthy of derision. So you you lived a double life even to yourself in many ways. So I um, right. when they did come out on Facebook, um, I you know I said, hey, this is who I used to be. This is who I am now. This is where I'm going, and I got a lot of a lot of public support. Um, that was great. It felt great. In fact, it felt so great that I was like, well, just kind of sucks that I only get to come out once in my life because, wow. <laughs> but after a while, you kind of go, I grew up with a lot of these people and uh, they were raised on the same diet of transphobia as, as I was. So right. I'm pretty sure if I came out in the 90s, I would have gotten a lot more side eye from the people I used to know. You know what I think? This is maybe this ties into uh, one of those other things that you probably shouldn't say to a trans person who's come out and who's unburdening themselves to you mm-hmm. and say, and it's happened to me and I know the people meant well, but they'll go, hey, it's the 2019s or it's the 2020s. You can be who you want. I, in fact, I know a couple of lesbians at work or uh, my cousin's third, you know, friend in the baseball team is gay or, or whatever. Um, it may not be as big a deal in 2020, but I've lived a whole life to get to 2020. So, uh, yeah, you've got your life to live as well, but it's a huge deal to finally take ownership of this thing. Even if the practical effects are not that great, you know, are not that ramifications for the average person on the street. Like, congratulations, I'm presenting in a different gender. Right. You know, wow, it's who cares? Whatever floats your boat. So it's it's been a painful journey of self-denial just to kind of finally go, crap, this is who I was supposed to be. So right. um, this kind of like live and let live or, uh, or another bad one is uh, whatever makes you happy. Is, that has got to be one of the worst nice things to say to a trans person to right. make me happy yeah, yeah. you know what it has freaking take t- taken for me to get to where i am um yeah you know and don't pretend you didn't live in the world that kept me down you know mm-hmm. and, and we're unconsciously complicit with all these gender norms um so anyways sure yeah. it's a dance we all do we're all for involved sure. with yeah in, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's funny too when you're talking about the '90s, and, uh, because you know when we were when we were younger people in the '90s, we felt like it, it was the most progressive time in the world too. Then, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, we felt uh, you know. I mean, it's easy to for young people to look kind of look back, or people look back on the '90s and kind of joke about you know how uh, non-sophisticated we were back then. But everybody kind of felt too, we we felt that we were our best persons then. <laughs> Yeah. We felt we had figured it out. We were, it would be a great time to come out then as well, I'm sure, uh, compared yeah. to how someone would have felt 10 years before that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah certainly when I, I, my early dipping, dipped my toe in the nineties coming out, I thought, I guess I've done it. I guess I've come out. But, uh, I took, I took the bargain of identifying as a crossdresser rather than a transgender. And, uh, part of taking that bargain is to always still be in the closet. So, um, but I thought, I guess this is, I guess I've done it. And, uh, but I guess to your point, yeah, in 2030, we're going to look at, at these old 2020 bigots that we all were, we Mm -hmm. thought we were hot shit. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll always, uh, I guess 
Well, and we can drive congratulating ourselves in, in 2030 for, for, sure, <laughs> for being so much more involved than we were. Yeah. You know, in, sure. in a sense, we will be somewhat. Well, we, yeah, we certainly okay. have a lot, a lot of work to do with race that is just crawling, crawling, crawling. And gender, gender has kind of had this like sort of, or gender acceptance has had a much bigger burst of support um, and growth in many ways that race is just still lagging behind, you know, whether you're black or Aboriginal, uh, first nations or whatever, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. they're still fighting and they started the fight a while ago too. So, um, and, uh, yeah, as, uh, as my wife likes to say, and poor fat people, fat people will still always get the last, last crumb of acceptance. Like there seems to be Mm -hmm. room for, for, uh, body, body shaming in every group and culture and so uh yeah we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of progress to make towards just including people in whatever their stories are right um we were chatting earlier about um you know figuring out who you are one of the conversations that we've had about you figuring out um who rebecca is is finding your voice literally Oh, um, yes. Talk to yeah. me about about what that is like to kind of figure out where your tone is, who, who how Rebecca speaks. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, yeah. So if uh, if your audience has made it this far, I am struggling with developing some kind of female voice uh, that is a mixture of self expression and pitch and tone. Um, and I've been uh, been working on a little YouTube channel called Rebecca's Voice. Um, Mm -hmm. I have got eight subscribers already, if you can believe that. Um, So, but, uh, you know, developing a female voice was a survival technique, I think. Uh, So much of transition as it kind of became medicalized uh, in the 70s and the 80s was all about making the transgender person invisible. You made the problem go away by making the body fit as much as possible to the person's gender. And you hoped that they didn't, you know, that they were no longer a problem. Um, And you might want some of these medical interventions to help the person's safety. And the voice was another, it's definitely another aspect of that. So if you didn't want to have a super, um, you you know, super feminine presentation and then a deep voice that comes out of that, that might, you know, cause your, your subject to, to, you know, suddenly panic at, at what exactly they seem to be presented with. Then a voice was important. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get there. I am trying right now. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see what that sounds like and where that goes. Um, but for me, it's, it's another tool to get rid of the last of some of my male socializations. So, um, you know, once my desire to be female was quashed, uh, at around, I think it was around four or five when I realized it is not safe or wise to, to tell everyone you want to be a girl. Um, you did your best to fit in with what everyone told you Mm -hmm. you were. And, uh, some of that sticks for some, it doesn't stick nearly as much. Some hang on to their gender identity. No, you know, come hell or high water. And some of us blend in and adapt and incorporate and, um, the voice and self-expression is something I am exploring. So not so mm-hmm. much for safety. Um, during COVID, however, it is very interesting to me because I find wearing a face mask 
uh, kind of smooths out some of my more gender dysphoric traits, physical traits. Um, I guess I'm not a big fan of what's going on under my from under my nose. Uh, so I put on a mask and I go, you know what, girl, your eyes look pretty darn good. Your brows are awesome. Your hair is right. good. You kind of look a little <clears throat> bit more, you know, passing is an old, old term, less important these days. So I walk into a store now and I feel pressure to use a female voice because I, my chances of being fully registered female go way up, like considerably up, I think. Um, right. I've had, you know, asking for brisket from the butcher and getting consistently gendered female. And uh, I am like melting inside being gendered properly. I can't tell you that feeling yeah. never, never gets old. Um, and I kind of owe it to the mask because you take that mask off. Personally, mm-hmm. it's still kind of understand who you want to be. But all of a sudden, they will just use no gender pronouns whatsoever you will be this utterly generic person because suddenly uh, the narrative now is that you should not assume. Of course, if you don't read as trans, people assume all the live long day, but the moment they see you is not, uh, you know, not conforming to the, to the gender you were assigned at birth, the sex you were assigned at birth. They suddenly think the right thing to do is just use no pronouns whatsoever. So, which undermines the mm-hmm. heck out of, out of a somewhat binary trans person. Um, mm-hmm. but is the polite thing to do, you know? So you take that yeah. mask on, uh, but the voice becomes more, much more important. Um, just to kind of like not just create an experience that can help you feel good about yourself. Um, so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. voices, it's tough. You'll have people say your voice is fine. Uh, you don't need to change it. And, you know that and yet you know i am doing as much to transform my you know external appearance um mm-hmm. and i th- i have had people say you know you don't need to do much you know you don't need to do all that makeup ah uh, you're you, you 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 don't have a beard but that's enough or something like that which mm-hmm. that is undermining too so this by the way don't ever tell a person what they shouldn't or can't do it's, it's, that's different from say like fashion advice or, or whatnot, but, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, why is the voice more acceptable to not change? I, I'd say, I'd argue is maybe it's just harder. So we've, we've given people a break. So that said, you can't, right. you don't want to judge a trans person f- for, uh, not going there. Um, for trans, for trans women, you are basically, it's, it's, it's such an uphill battle to undo what testosterone has done to the vocal cords, right. uh, trans men. So people, you know, assigned female that cross over to the male side of things, they take testosterone and within three months, their voices typically deepen quite a bit. So, uh, their vocal cords will never grow longer than what they were born with. So you're assigned a male at birth. They're they've got longer and thicker vocal cords, but testosterone will thicken them. So, uh, yeah, your trans men usually have this raspy kind of twitchy energy to them. It's kind of right. endearing. Um, but they get that gift if they, you know, hopefully they want it as part of their gender transition. Mm-hmm. But, uh, right. Yeah. So voice has got so, but you know, some trans men will work on deepening their voice as well. So mm-hmm. it's just like a huge nuanced package that, means so much to the person doing it and can, can kind of get lost to the outsider. Right. 
One of the, uh, the things that you mentioned to me the other day was um, you were feeling a nervousness about meeting, uh, running into a neighbor. And I think you mentioned the person was uh, was an older Italian lady. And I maybe yes. you were thinking probably that she might have been, you know, because of being older and Italian, I don't know that I might have been reading into it. <laughs> she might have a harder time uh, dealing with this than someone else. I don't know. Yeah, what were you thinking I've, about I've, that? I've lived in fear of all the senior people on my street. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Some of the older people that have been around much longer than us uh, upstart uh, people moving into the hood. Um, yeah, I've just always been afraid of what the older, older generations would think. So, um, there's like an older Greek couple who have not, admittedly, they have not actually approached me directly. They've, they've snooped with the neighbors and the neighbors come and tell me that they've come asking and such, but, yeah. uh, yeah, our immediate, uh, neighbor to our right, a older Italian woman, a grandma, I mean, she's like 80 years old or something. And yeah, I've lived <clears throat> in fear of her judgment. I couldn't. And I think that's that's the shame, however, that I basically have been raised on my my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. And so I figured this older generation has probably also learned those same tropes and mm-hmm. uh, is probably thinking them unconsciously. And so I have been afraid of that judgment, even though there would be no practical effects um, of that. But, you know, she kind of finally I finally smiled at her. She smiled at me one day. She told me my dress looked really nice and it cool for the summer. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, thanks, Nona. And then I just said, well, how have you been doing? Because I've been so guilty about my, I let my fear get in the way of just checking in on her during COVID. Um, right. Because I didn't feel comfortable just kind of, you know, so I said, how have you been doing? And she's like, oh, fine. Thanks for asking. And and that, that was just a tiny, nice moment. And now things, have, things are totally friendly. I'm not afraid of her. Um, nice. Yeah, just trying to show. So you just need more of those, right? Need more of those, yeah. You know, if she wants to tell me I got a nice dress that day, I will lap that shit up. So, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, no, I mean, women gotta say, women are just a whole lot nicer to each other. Um, And as I enter that world, I get a taste of that, and I think it's pretty freaking great. So. One of the questions I probably would have been a beginning of the uh, interview uh, question, but uh, worth bringing up: Do you remember? Do you remember uh, the age or a specific moment in your youth where you realized I I don't think I'm supposed to be in this body, or I don't feel comfortable in this body? Do you remember when that all started? For sure, I think I was about four years old. Um, I had a sister who was a fierce, fierce tomboy. Um, who always wanted to be a boy, and you can speculate and psychoanalyze that uh, at your own in your own time, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. But she had a tremendous loathing to be associated with anything feminine, and my father assumed that I did too. And so, mm-hmm. to discipline us, he would sometimes threaten to put us in female clothing. Uh, I think we had some life-size dolls or that were like big for a child. And my father would say, I'll make you wear that, that, those doll clothes if you're not Mm -hmm. good. And that was enough to keep my sister in line. And I was like, what special feminizing powers do these doll clothes have? Right. And I was like, okay, well, uh, I have already, the message received was girly was bad. Feminine was bad. Mm -hmm. But I was like, well, when no one's looking, I am going to try these clothes on and see what happens. Mm-hmm. 
and I was immediately caught, you know, I, uh, and was ridiculed by my sister, by my, by my father. And I was like, all right, that's step one to, I guess I'm not supposed to do this, but I knew I desperately, not, not quite so desperately. I was like four years old, but I was like, I think I want whatever it is that I'm not supposed to have. So, um, <clears throat> and I was, you know, still, I think I was a feminine boy back then. Like I, as it, it, people assume you're a boy, you get into fights in the playground, whether or not you want to. I don't know if that was your experience growing up in the, uh, the seventies and eighties. Did you get into like, uh, like playground fights, say like once a month or. Uh, once in a while, you know, yeah. there's always a bully around. There's always, yeah. there's always somebody who's looking around, uh, mm-hmm. trying to knock somebody down. Yeah. Uh, I did have that experience. I'll tell you one experience I did have more so was, uh, when I was in my teens and twenties and I was kind of got into the post punk thing and listen to bands like the cure and stuff and, and, you know, you know, had different, uh, looks, you know, I remember having teased hair and I remember at, at one point, you know, wearing mascara for a, a brief period, uh, and, and just going out and, you know, going to hall, which was just a brutal place to hang out. We, we used to go to hall all the time, uh, and, and, and being picked on by being bullied by some guy who would walk by, who'd call me fag or something like that. And, and uh, that just, you know, because we were kind of artsy kids and trying on different outfits and stuff and mm-hmm. figuring out who we were, right? So I can identify with that for sure. I, okay. I definitely got picked on for like daring that. to try try different styles on. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, God, like the bullying that still happens. Like, God, every time a fucking poor cisgender man has to, like, I'm going to try the man bun. And is ridiculed by everybody for just trying something different, just participating right, yeah. in some kind of different cultural, you know, thing. I was terrified in high school for sure. Uh, to like, I said, I I took shelter as a metalhead as a way of trying to not be bothered by anybody. Also, as a way to have long hair. Frankly, that maybe I could call into service if I suddenly had to be a woman. Uh, right. Which, which sadly never fucking happened. But anyways. Um, but yeah, the, all the, the the policing of like everyone having to conform. Yeah, for sure. I was, uh, but I was kind of, I was asking my question more in like your early formative childhood. I just like would get into fights every now and then just by virtue of people assuming I was a boy. I don't know. Um, and I remember having a reputation as being, if you fought me, you would expect to be scratched and slapped. So I was being criticized. Right. I was being criticized as fighting like a girl, which like what business do people have criticizing your fighting style, let alone getting you into a fight. So, um, right. And I was just, that was all part of my awareness. I was like, okay, I wish I was wearing these clothes. I fight like a girl somewhere in the fourth grade. I think I was in scouts and I remember we were all in an assembly in a gym and I was just in my whatever scouting outfit and there was whatever the girls were it was like french scouts what were they called the jeanettes or something uh right yeah yeah i think there was jeanettes they were like there was like the french version of the girl guides the french version of the girl guides and i still, i remember yeah. they were all assembled just right right beside us and under the gym and i just remember like i felt like, like this black hole gravitational pull like i felt like i was i had to hang on to the gym floor because i was getting sucked into that orbit Right, and I desperately wanted yeah. to fall into that 
and like please absorb me into your girly hole <laughs> Whoa, girly <laughs> hole. i didn't mean the hole in that way shit <laughs> you know into the sum total of your you know female yeah, yeah. energies um so yeah but yeah really frankly by that first time that i was caught by by my father and sister at the age of four it was like yeah this is a thing about you and you're probably not going to be able to share it with anybody so just stick it just you file that away um, yeah yeah so are you are you are you happy that you made that move you still feel that you wake up in the morning you're like i this is this is the right thing for me to do you don't have a lot of misgivings or days where you kind of go i don't know maybe oh god no i have absolutely no regrets for the person i left behind um mm-hmm. you know and a lot of i mean much of transition uh is about fleshing out the best parts of yourself uh in this new form um mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I don't miss that old person. No real regrets. Uh, I have to have real, realistic expectations of how I look, how I might look mm-hmm. in the future. Like, great, I'm taking hormones as part of the right thing that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the older you transition in life, my understanding is that the less effect you're going to see. Um, so I may never really look much more feminine than what I might now, you know. So I have to be okay with that. And sometimes I'm not. Right. So sometimes I'm not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I really, like, I see a picture of myself. That can send me spiraling. This is common transgender experience. And, you know, there's how you look in the mirror. And I love the mm-hmm. person I see in the mirror. Um, she's kind of cool. Uh, I'm proud of her. She's me. Um, mm-hmm. Then a photo, an odd candid photo or something that you see of yourself, you're like, that's 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 not me. That's not who I represent who's who who i'm so like that i want the world to see so you get transition brings a lot of pain from the disconnect between who you are inside and that your self-representation so um but that's not that does not mean i regret transition this is really my only option to exist at this point so right uh, i have to take what's available to me um but i do not miss the old person who was just doing their best to be anything but what i am now Mm -hmm. that's all they thought was available so um i don't miss how guys related to me or or whatever so um, do you do you like that person the person you left behind Uh, that's a personal question, but it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm upset with them for not thinking who I am today is possible. Like the joy that I feel of like finally being myself, um, is counterbalanced by like a lifetime spent in the wilderness denying who I was. So Mm -hmm. I'm really upset that that person didn't have more courage. Um, and really, you know, as awesome as my wife was to just go, Hey, uh, I think you're a woman. I think you really need to be a woman. Um, as awesome as that was, I am so disappointed in the old me that needed that permission. So I'm really upset because this is the only life I get to live. You know, I, I used to think, well, maybe the next life I'll be a woman. I'm like, God, wait, but you don't believe in reincarnation. (laughs) Right. That stuff. Yeah, um, that's one of my queer failings. I'm not all that mystical, but anyways, I mm-hmm. um, 
So I am kind of upset at the me that wasted all that time. I have a lovely little family. I have amazing little children who are proud mm-hmm. of their transgender parent. And so it's, they like, it's, it's nothing to them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just so much regret at that dum dum that didn't, that, that, that internalized all that transphobia growing up. And it's like, well, right. I certainly can't be that. So let's try to be these other things. Um, but uh, you no, could also it, figure out how to forgive that person, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Doctor Doctor McNeil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I because I, I, I went through a split right uh, years ago. I'd been in a relationship for a long time, and I kind of figured out on the other end of that that I was going to have to. There was a lot of things I wish I'd done differently or better. But mm-hmm. I was good that I'd moved on and that it changed. But I kind of felt like I was going to have to forgive myself and just kind of move on. Yeah. I wonder whether or not that's something that goes through your mind a lot or if you're not there yet or what, what the situation is with forgiveness. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Uh, that's definitely going to be something I think I'll have to do. Yeah. That's, that is probably weighing on me forgiving that old person. Mm-hmm. What uh, I always ask my guests and it's an unfair question because I don't know the answer when, when I'm asked the same thing, but what, what, uh, where would where, where 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 would you like to be in ten years from now, in terms of your growth and uh, you know? Where would I like to be in ten years from now? Uh, God, I hope I'm not still thinking about transition, transition, transition the way I do now, because <laughs> yeah. uh, that does when it dominates your inner psyche, it, it does spill out into everyone else's life, and everyone's got their own life mm-hmm. to live as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so that must be tiring. Uh, you know, yeah, it can be exhausting, even to the person who's in it. Uh, I'll, you know, I well, yeah, that's what I mean for you. Yeah, for sure. I can yeah. believe it or not, I can be sick of trans stuff too sometimes. But then you sure. wake up recharged the next day, and you're like, oh, there's so yeah. much more about being trans today that I did, hadn't even thought of. So that's mm-hmm. why having queer people need other queer friends because uh, because the we'll be less sick of it because. Uh, we, we, you know, your, your journey informs their journey in, in just like a, a much easier way. But, mm-hmm. um, that said in 10 years, I'll have older children and, uh, mm-hmm. I would love, certainly love to be like, wake up in a state that doesn't require me to, to take an hour to get ready to present female every day. Right. Um, and it, I guess that would make me 57, 58, you know? age is a bit of a leveler for gender too sometimes. So, um, yeah, that may become a a simpler reality, but, uh, God knows there's still, there's my professional career. Can I be a 57 year old photographer? Many, many photographers have probably asked themselves that question. So, so like maybe the biggest joy, one of the biggest joys I'm experiencing right now is I'm not, there's nothing about my gender now that I am taking for granted. Like everything I'm doing right now, if it's done while wearing a dress is almost like a bucket list in some ways. Um, right. So, yeah, like just, you know, the the wind fluttering my dress while I'm standing in the parking lot waiting for groceries. It's like, mm-hmm. God damn it. This is delightful. So, yeah. Uh, and I and this is a tiny moment that I, did, you know, has cost me nothing. And it's just kind of wonderful because I'm I'm in the moment. I'm observing it. Um, so you're, you know, the transition has made you more, makes you more present for yourself Mm -hmm. and it would be a shame to lose that. 
just because I felt all transgendered up and all done with my, with my journey. So mm-hmm. maybe I don't want to give that up right away. So, uh, right. But, um, I'm hoping, you know, just if I can become a more fully fleshed out human being, um, that there'll be a lot of, you know, um, what I mean, you know, good outcomes as a as a consequence of just being a little bit more authentic. Um, yeah. So, and I really hope my being present uh, doesn't fade away. That I can just you know channel it to other other avenues eventually. So, um, right. the promise the promise of I I when I first posted my transition message on Facebook, I implied that uh, I hope it makes me a better person. I wish I could take that one back. Um, cause it's a bit, it's a bit unfair. Uh, and certainly my transition has upset a few people, um, <clears throat> that close to me, you know, I've made a few messes. I've been a little too assertive and stomped over a few people. Um, <clears throat> so it's all part of the journey though, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, the part maybe of in 10 years, give me 10 years. I hope I'm a better person. <laughs> So, yeah, you hope you you hope yeah. you're better at this. Well, yeah, just, <laughs> this yeah, thing, yeah, this thing we're doing. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah. Just well, like, that's yeah. that's what you should hope for, right? That's what we should all hope for that we're better at this that we've yeah. learned and and we're we're better at that uh, for sure at this thing called life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it, and. Uh, for um, opening up to me and sharing all these stories with me. And, uh, and I'm happy for you. And I hope that this journey uh, proves to be uh, uh, what you, what you hoped it would be. And, uh, and then in 10 years from now, when I talk to you, that, uh, that you are (laughs) closer to the person you wanted to be. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And I hope I I am too. (laughs) Same, same wishes for you, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Rebecca Burridge. Now it's time for this week's installment of... Please don't try this at This is my story. This story takes place sometime in the spring, summer of 1989, maybe 1988, right at the end of high school. Dave and I, we were coming home late from a night out in the city, which means we'd had a few beers. That's not really super important, but just to set a little context. What is important is it was late, we were feeling mischievous, and our friend Pete was having a sleepover in a tent in his backyard with his girlfriend. Still not sure how he convinced his parents that that was cool, but more power to him. Like I said, Dave and I were coming home from a late night at Hull, maybe two or three in the morning. We get dropped off in the corner of Bearbrook and West Park near Dave's house. I was gonna walk home, but we noticed that the bus stop sign was in a temporary signpost, and we thought it would be hilarious if we put it in Pete's backyard. So Dave and I start dragging this thing. It's heavy as shit. We've got to get it past five or six houses to get to Pete's. The whole time we're laughing our heads off. We somehow managed to place it in Pete's backyard without waking him up. We look at each other and we promptly go back for the Sun newspaper box. Those things are heavier than you'd imagine. But with a lot more giggling, 
after two or three rest breaks, the box is placed next to the stop sign. One last item, the bench. To this day, I still don't know how we managed to get it all the way to Pete's backyard without waking anyone up or having the cops called on us. All I really remember is lots of laughing at our pranking genius. With the bus stop recreated in Pete's backyard, Dave and I finally call it and head home to get some much needed rest. The next morning, Pete's mom is furious. The police are called, the OC transport police are called too. But to his credit, Pete doesn't rat us out and the mystery of the backyard bus stop remains just that, a mystery. I'm Pat Ronan and that's my story. Thanks for that, Pat. And my thanks again to Rebecca for sharing her story. If you're looking for a photographer to do some portraiture or headshots, visit RebeccaBurridge.com. Also, Rebecca has been logging her journey developing her female voice on YouTube under the channel Rebecca's Voice. So check that out as well. Thanks again also to Mr. Jerry Stamp, who wrote and performed the Cool Story theme song and all other jingles and stings that appear on the show. Do yourselves a favor and look for Jerry's music wherever you stream. And finally, thank you for listening. Until next time, Pura Vida. Everybody's had some adventures. Everybody's had a few close calls. Everybody's got a story. What's yours?